Go ahead and have a seat, guys. Uh, kids are dismissed to go to Sunday school. Um, if you have your, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Colossians chapter two. And as they're walking out, I just we don't normally do this, but I, I just kind of felt inspired to do this this morning. Let's uh, let's pray for our kids this morning as they go back and are taught the gospel. Um, and by the way, as they walk and you grab your Bible, it's okay to like rummage through things while we pray. God still hears. Um, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for our kids. I thank you for the gospel that you're about to teach them, Father. I pray that it would germinate in their souls, God. I pray for their, those that will teach them, Father, that you would bring them to a place to, to plant the gospel in those little souls and those little hearts, God. I, I pray that uh, glory be wrought to your name from what happens in the back with our kids this morning. Thank you, Jesus, uh, in your name. Amen. Uh, so Colossians chapter 2 um, a lot of times the, the scripture is on the board. Uh, it won't be on the screen uh, today. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and somebody will bring you one. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, there we go. Somebody grab a couple of Bibles. Um, and so uh, feel free to, to take that home with you. Even if, if you've got lots of Bibles and you don't have an ESV version of the Bible, take that home with you. We'd like to, to give that to you. Um, so let's, uh, let's start in. Let, we're going to dig in because we've got a lot to get to today. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, the first 15 verses. I'm going to read all of those for us. Uh, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are all hidden are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him... Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Have you been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead? And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him. Having, been, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by tri- triumphing over them in him. There's a lot here. Let's pray. We've got a lot to do and we can't do it on our own. God, I come before you now and I ask that you would illuminate your word to us this morning. God, I'm grateful that you have 
persevered your word. You revealed truth about who you are and who your son is. You've persevered it, kept it for us so that we might interact with it this morning. God, I pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to all that Christ is. God, may that change us, Father, that this is not just some another Sunday morning, but we come into such an encounter with who Christ is that we are changed by who he is and by who we are because of who he is. God, you're beautiful. Your grace is bigger than our sin, bigger than our doubt, bigger than our distraction, Father. I pray now that your grace would win and prevail this morning. Guide us as we study your word in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, So the message this morning is summed up in a very simple phrase. Jesus is really important. Profound, right? You like put that on a bumper sticker or um, something. But it He's, he's really, really important. And I don't want, that's, that's really elemental. And, and I, like, you don't need me to stand in front of you with a microphone and a, and a, and a music stand to, to tell you that Jesus is really important. Or do you? Because he, here's, here's what I, I sense. And this is like, here is, let me just let you into my world for a bit. Um, tomorrow morning I'll wake up early because I've got a big project at work that, that's happening. And I'll go in there and, and I'll work really hard at it and I'll try and find some time to do some other things. But this, this one project is, is really big, really important. And like, then I'll, I'll, get, I'll get finished with that, come home and uh, take my son to football practice. And I'll, I'll try and study a little bit. I'll try and work a little bit. I'll have my computer there, but I don't have an, a wire, wireless connection, so there's, I'm limited to what I can do. And then I'll, I'll come home, and it'll be like 8.30, 9 o'clock, and until 9 or so, my life is about getting my kids into bed. Showers, teeth, bed, all those things. And then it'll be like 9.30, and all I want to do is sit on the sofa with my wife. The point is... And, and, like, I, I don't say all that to, like, oh, man, you've got a really hard day tomorrow and whatever, because I'm not any different than any of you all. The point is that life just relentlessly comes at you. I can try all I want. I can try really, really, really hard, but my alarm will go off tomorrow morning. And so will yours. Life is monotonous. It's tedious. It's a wave. It never, ever stops. And all of those things that are happening tomorrow can serve to be things to change my mind from the fact that Jesus is really, really important. And I I want us to to understand that because all of the stuff that I'll do tomorrow are all very good things. Parenting my children, providing for my family, all those things are very important and they're valuable and, and I don't mean to discard them, but they can and very easily distract me from the fact that Jesus is really important and can get more than that, the, or the, the effect of that is I don't understand my purpose. My purpose becomes the project. My purpose becomes getting my kids to sleep. My purpose becomes Cooper being able to make a tackle correctly. 
those things become my purpose without this full, complete, front of my head knowledge that Jesus is really, really important. And so this morning, that's, that's why we're here. That's why, that's, that's the goal that I have for us as we walk through Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 15, is to press in front of us at the beginning of everything that Jesus is really, really important. One of the things I'm doing a lot these days, I'm, I'm plugging in my phone every day at 2 o'clock. The Lord heals my diseases, pops up on an alarm. That might be something for you guys to do. You, all, you guys, most of you probably have phones that have alarms. You can put labels on them. Jesus is really important. Every day at 1 o'clock, goes off in your pocket. Oh. And, and because life comes at us in waves, we need to be reminded of these things all the time, consistently, over and over and over again. And God has given you your smartphone to do something like that. Redeem technology. So let's, let's get into this here. Um, Colossians chapter 2. We're going to walk through this slowly, verse by verse, and even word by word a little bit. Um, and you're thinking, Rick, you just read that. It was like 10 minutes just for you to read those 15 verses. What, are you going to be here till 3? Maybe. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing. Um, so here we go. Let's, let's go. Verse 1 of chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. Um, Colossae, who this book was written to, is a city in that, that Paul had helped Epaphras, who was at Ephesus. Let me, do, let me just back up and do a little background for you guys. Um, Colossians is a book written to a city, to a church in a city called Colossae. One of the leaders of this church was a well-to-do businessman who left Colossae for a time to go do business in Ephesus where Paul was preaching. Ephesus is the, the recipient of the book Ephesians, all right? So Paul preached in Ephesians, and then he gave that church to Timothy, and Timothy preached in Ephesus for a while. Epaphras left Colossae to go do business in Ephesus, and while he was there, he spent some time in this church and was encouraged by Paul himself directly to go back to Colossae, start a church, all right? Paul himself never went to Colossae. We'll read about that in just a second. So the people that he's writing this letter to, he's never met face-to-face. Um, but he has some passion for them. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. Laodicea was a very similar town. He, never, he, he wrote a letter to them, but it's not in Scripture. And for all who have not yet seen me face-to-face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together, in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding of God's mystery, which is in Christ. I want to stop for a second. And I want you to, to sense the angst with which Paul prays for those people. All right? Raise your hand if you've met Paul face to face. That's the right answer. Good job. Way to go. You guys are one for one today. So we can connect with this. Paul is praying for us. Paul is praying directly for the people at Colossae because he is invested in who they are. But he's never met them face to face. And and let's look at at what it is that he prays for. There's an angst. I want you to know 
that I have a great struggle for you. Imagine this. Here, this is a fact of what something happened one time. Paul, probably in an upper room somewhere in the place where he lived. Darkness, probably praying by candlelight. Agonizing prayers for the Colossians, for us. And this is what he prayed. That your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. One of the cool things, I got, some of you guys know this, but some of you may not. Last week I was at a church down the road called Trinity. I was preaching there. They're, they just lost their pastor and, and they, they've got another guy that's coming in. And nobody was there, and so they asked me to come and preach there. And it was amazing to think that someone from a diff- different denomination would bring someone in from this denomination, well, we're not really a denomination, but from who we are, and allow them to come and preach. And then I was struck by that. And I was also struck by like all the encouragement that I got from you guys. My phone was like blowing up. 9.30 prayer time, I'm getting uh, text all over the place from the folks that are here, we're praying for you. And, and people that weren't even in prayer, we're praying for you as you go and, and preach this, new, this different church. And just the, the beauty of that is that this is like the kingdom here. That one, that you would be willing to share your pastor with another church in the same city. That, that's what, what baffles me. Like that just doesn't happen. And that they would be a church willing to hear that we're knit together in love, pulling in the same direction. I want us to, to see that and, and see the, the partnership that was true here. And the partnership that got to be true last week. And we're praying that it continues on. You'll hear more about that as we continue. Okay, verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. To reach all the riches of full assurance and knowledge of God's mystery. He's praying that our hearts would be encouraged and have full knowledge and understanding of this, of God's mystery. What is God's mystery? The end of verse 3, which is Christ. I want to stop for just a second. Because we... In, in my world, a lot of people have questions and they bring them to me about who God is. And he's hard to understand, hard to know, difficult to understand, difficult to know, or we're confused about who he is or what he is. And it's a mystery, right? He, I'm, I'm a pastor. I, I'm about, I've got like three weeks left of, of seminary. I'll be done. I have a seminary degree. Can I get a woot, please? Um, and so, and, and I've like taken... Years and years and years and all this stuff. And, and like I dedicate my life to studying and, and God remains a mystery. Okay? So it's okay for you. If it's okay for the guy who's about to graduate from seminary, it's, it's okay for you who hasn't graduated from seminary to, to, to think of God as a mystery. Colossians calls it that. But the mystery is, let's, let's go back and read verse 2 again. That our hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches and full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. We'll talk about that as we go along. 
who Christ is. But the mystery of God is found in Christ. And we have four long, complete books talking just about who Jesus is. You want to know who God is? You want to know who who Jesus is? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read them. 20 times each. And I'm not joking. Read them over and over and over again. And we'll talk about more about that in a second. But that's later in Colossians 2. Verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Here's something that is, is real for us. You've heard me say this many times. We have a very real enemy, and his name is Satan. You can think that stuff going on in this world are, is your enemy, but you have one and only one enemy, and his name is Satan. And he has one tool. Do you know what it is? To deceive you. There's nothing that he can do to you, and he knows that. So the only thing that he can do to you is make you believe something that's not true about yourself or make you believe something that's not true about God. Know that, please. It's really important. And when we dive into Christ, when we understand that Christ is really important, when we understand that all the mysteries of God are found in Christ, this is the result. He says all this. He wants you to know Jesus and the mystery of God's will and having this being knit together with all those things that he's praying for, the angst that he's praying with you, is so that no one would be able to delude you with plausible arguments. We could get an atheist to come up here and speak and give us really well-thought-out arguments to, to prove the unexistence of God. Plausible arguments. He can make them. And I'm not ashamed to say that. But when we press into Christ, we, the, and that's the monotony of life, can, can come into our lives. And, and then these plausible arguments can lodge themselves into our spirits. Jesus is important. Verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order in the firmness of your faith in Christ. There is strength in the deep-rooted planting of Christ. Um. I didn't intend to uh, note these. Oh, one of them has fallen down. But these trees over here, this, this art was done by Travis Wagner, who used to go here. He's living in Philly now. Um, those are like five years old, those, those paintings are, those portraits are. But I, I just want you to, as we walk through this, being rooted in Christ, the firmness of your faith, I want you to look at those trees and just allow them to, to speak what it means to be rooted in something. And allow God to take your mind there. Even if that means you're distracted with what I'm saying. Verse 6. Colossians 2. The heading here in my Bible is alive in Christ. Alive in Christ. Therefore, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And here's, here's the thing that gets me really excited about being rooted and established and founded. Those words are, are, are big and they're strong. Because the monotony and, of the, and the waves of life like come at you. And many times, as a youth pastor especially, I, back in the day, I was, I was scared when a kid came to me and admitted their doubt. Because doubt's something to be afraid of. No, it's not. When, if Christ is who he says he is, and you are rooted and established and founded in him, those strong words, doubt is a gift from God. Here's why. It, it serves as an, an antidote to our soul. He injects us with a disease. But because we're rooted in him, that disease is destroyed by Christ. And now when that disease, I was talking to Rick and Kathleen earlier, talking about comfortable and being comfortable as a church. And that thankfully we are not because, and looking around this room, there's several of you who were here from the beginning. And there was a stage, probably about six to nine months in until about two and a half years in or three years in or whatever, somewhere in that time frame, where we were really comfortable. We met on a Sunday night and like it was fun and we had this real deep sense of community. Everybody was in everybody's house every night of the week, literally, and it was just a lot of fun. And it was really, really comfortable. And it also almost killed us. But here's the thing. Because of that season that God walked us through, now, when comfort starts to sneak in, we see it, we know it, and we want to dispel it. Because God is calling us not to be here for us. God is calling us to be here to plant the gospel into North County. Comfort or discomfort, it doesn't matter. That's the end of the day. That's why we're here, to plant the gospel here. Not so that we can be happy and have fun and have people to go out with on Friday night. If that's why you come to the church, I'd really rather you leave. All right? Because we're rooted and established and founded in Christ. It is who he is. And his mission becomes our mission because we are rooted in him. An apple tree doesn't produce oranges. We're rooted in him, so then our mission becomes his mission. Our life because him, because it becomes his life. Who he loves is what we love. This is it. This is Christ. He's really important. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. And I, I want, I hope that somebody's writing these words in their journal, rooted, built up, established, founded, all those things, and, and, and just wrestle with those words and come to grips with what they mean in the heart of them, and that God would explode in your soul and in your spirit, that this is you, this is how you are rooted and established and it's firm and doubt and tragedy and hardship and pain or ecstasy can't change that. 
And the result of that, don't miss what's after the comma in verse 7. Abounding in thanksgiving. Because of who he is, our response is to be surrounded completely and utterly 100% of the time. That's abounding in thanksgiving. Your thanksgiving cannot and will not exhaust because of who Christ is. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. See, here's, here's what was going on in, in, Coloss- in Colossae at this time. Epaphras, having been mentored by Paul, starts this church in Colossae, Christ alone. You're saved by Christ alone. People came in and says, that's great, but it's Christ plus obedience. It's Christ plus circumcision. It's Christ plus something. That's the, what, what does he call it here? The philosophy, the empty deceit, the human tradition that Paul is warring against. For us, I don't know what that is for you. That Satan tries to say to you, Yes, it's Jesus plus this. It's Jesus plus being a part of a good church. It's Jesus plus going to church. It's Jesus plus reading your Bible. It's Jesus plus whatever. All those things are good and valuable, but they don't give you relationship with the Lord. Jesus plus nothing. Anything else is human tradition and not according to Christ. Verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's really big. Like, we're getting ready to have, do, a, do a little seminary study here on something called Christology, the study of Christ. Uh, Joe, hit that, that quote up there. This is from uh, a theologian named N.T. Wright. He says this about this verse. Everything we might want to ask God about God and his purposes can now be answered. Can and now must be answered. This is the force of this verse, the reference to the crucified and risen Jesus, the Messiah. Everything that you would ever want to know about who God is is found in the person of Christ. That's this verse. Let me read it again. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What is God like? Well, what was Jesus like? I'm going to ask that again, only I'm going to say it's not rhetorical. What was Jesus like? Not rhetorical. Who is Jesus? What was he like? What did he do? Servant. That was number one on my list on my notes back there. I'll show you later. Good job. Playing Family Feud today. What else? Creator. Healer. Healer. Yes. And, and I don't want us to just, this isn't just so that we can be interactive and like we can like make sure everybody's awake and paying attention. That's not what, this is about encountering. I love that you said that, healer. 
Because our, like, who we are is designed to go to the created for our healing. Jesus wants to heal you. I'm not talking about making the hurt in your elbow disappear. Jesus wants to heal your diseases. He wants to bring purpose to your life. Purpose that you were intended for. This is your God. Here is Jesus. What else? Second on my list is sacrifice. Like, that is God. And this is, this is really important. This is a, a great thing to live by. You are more important than me. Say that to yourself in every relationship. Because that's what Jesus did. That's who God is. You are more important than me. What else? I hope it's because nobody wants to talk, because this should be really easy. What's that? Apathetic, yes. Empathetic, yeah. I I was picking up what you were saying. (laughs) He's not apathetic at all. He's empathetic. I heard you. Empathetic, that's right. Yeah. This is God. Okay, so here's homework for you guys. Go read one of the Gospels from beginning to end. And write down who you see Jesus being. I want to do a little Greek study here. Uh, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That word fullness is, hit that thing, Joe, is the Greek word pleroma, that which has been filled. Um, So Jesus has been filled completely to the top with who God is. It's this Greek word, pleroma. That's great. But here's the, this is the cool part. Let's read verse 10. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You guys want to take a stab at what the Greek word for filled is? It's the same one. Just as Christ has been filled with the full deity of God, you have been filled with the same word. It's not a a nuanced word. It's the same thing. You have been filled with Christ. It was not the reaction I was expecting. This is me chastising you. You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You're rooted, you're established, you're built up, you're filled with him. You're firm. Bring it on doubt. Bring it on pain. Bring it on I have no idea why I'm here.
In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, and you were once also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over him. All right, so we've talked about the need for this in Paul's angst-filled prayer. We've talked about who we are and who Christ is, and we can see the full deity in him that is now in us. Now, these last verses, 11 to 15, are talking about what Christ has given to us. And this is vital for us to connect with because Jesus is really important. Let's break this down. First, what he's done. He has removed your flesh. That's what circumcision means. You guys know what circumcision is. It's cutting away of flesh, physical circumcision. Spiritually, that's what happens for us when Christ comes in us. Our flesh is cut away. And that's a a Greek word, sarx. It just means that which belongs to the world. And Christ has cut it away. Here's the thing. We have leanings in ourselves that lean towards sin. If we go unchecked, our brains, our mind, our attention is going to move towards sin. For all of us, there are two or three things that our mind goes to quickly. Without Christ, without being checked, without the Holy Spirit, we're going to move towards this way, this path. The antidote to that is Christ. You wrestle with sin, you're wrestling with a particular sin, here's the answer. Read about Jesus. It's very simple. He cuts away your flesh, cuts away your desire for flesh, cuts away your desire to want to do things that are contrary to him. And it's not for some religious purpose. It's for your own joy, for your own life. And when we are distracted from that purpose, chances are the the reason for that is because we're distracted from Jesus. And we're being distracted by the traditions of man. We're being distracted by stuff that's in this world. It's just a simple battle that's happening. And the answer is Jesus. Draw close to him because he has removed your flesh. But you are dumb and you pick it up and try and sew it back on and you give into it it's really vitally important for us i know there's a lot of you guys that like breaking bad you're really excited about breaking bad tonight but there's never a greater illustration of sin and what sin can do to a man and flesh can do to a man than like, there's no artistic expression of that that I've experienced that's better than this one. There's a, uh, I'll try and tweet it later, but there's a, something on the Gospel Coalition talking about it. Uh, I'll try and tweet that, that link later, but it's, it's beautiful. It's perfect. Because what's in us, absent of Christ, 
what, what you are capable of, the grotesqueness that you are capable of, absence of Christ, is way worse than you could ever know. And Breaking Bad sheds a big light on that. The antidote for it is Christ. What else has he done? He's made you alive. I just want to stop and, and think quickly on that. Christ has made you alive. This word, the Greek word is a word, it's not up there on the board because then I would have to pronounce it and it's like 72 letters long. It's a compound word that means with, the preposition with, with, and then to produce life, to cause life, to germinate. In other words, it's a seed that God has put in you that's going to flower. And that flowering is Christ making you alive. There's a lyric in, a, in an, old, uh, an old song that says, what was said to the rose to make it unfold was said to me here in my chest. That's this word. That's what being made alive is. The same thing, the same principle at play that made the rose bud, that brought it to life, that brought the sweetness of it out, that brought the visual sweetness of it out, was said to you by Christ in your soul to make you alive, to give you purpose, to fulfill your life, to give you the direction that God is calling you to, to lead, was said to you by Christ. Huge. The second thing, the third thing that he's done is forgiven you. And here's, this is a, a really simple thought. I, I don't need to define forgiveness for you. You guys know what forgiveness is. However, I'm convinced that we define forgiveness and we impose our definition of forgiveness upon God and how he forgives us. By the way that we forgive people. And it's half-hearted. It's keeping record of wrongs. It's fake or it's halfway. There are people in my life, probably, if I really stopped and thought about it, there are people in this room who have wronged me and I've forgiven partially. And you've probably done the same thing to me. I'm your pastor. That's what happens. I do something that makes you mad and you pout and you get angry and you hold on to it. You say you forgive, but you really don't. I say I forgive, but I really don't. And so what happens for us, this becomes how we forgive so that this becomes our definition of forgive. So that how we've experienced forgiveness from our parents, from our friends, from our spouses, from our bosses, both directions, we should forgive, they should forgive. How we experience forgiveness becomes how we define forgiveness, and then we impose that half-hearted, fake forgiveness upon God's definition of forgive, so that when he says, I forgive you, what we hear is, I'm going to hang on, or do something to me again, and I'm going to hold what you... I'm going to forgive you today, but if you do something to me again tomorrow, I'm bringing back today. 
that's how we forgive. And somehow that idea of forgiveness seeps in to how we understand how God forgives us. But it's wrong. It's wrong. You are forgiven completely. He says as far as the east is from the west, if we all got on the line and started walking to the west, we would never get to the west. We would always be walking west. Do we understand that? If we, were, if we started walking north, we would get to the north, and then we would eventually start walking south. Follow? You understand? Like, you've seen the globe? This is God's forgiveness. It's complete. It's full. And it has nothing to do with your ridiculous, awful way that you forgive people or the ridiculous, awful way that you've been forgiven. This is your God. This is Jesus. You are forgiven in Christ. You are forgiven. We're getting there. You're getting there. The last thing. He has canceled your debt. I want to read these verses again because that's, this is awesome. Verse 14. By canceling the record, he has forgiven us by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Forgiving is more than just like, it's okay that you did that. There's a, a debt that has to be paid. And Christ has paid it and canceled your debt because your debt stands against you. It is the prosecuting attorney in the court standing against you, making accusations against you. You've done this and you've got to pay for it. Christ has canceled that debt. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I want you to I want you to breathe that this morning. That your sin, your brokenness, your wretchedness, your capability to sin, your propensity to sin, your leaning towards sin has been canceled. Jesus nailed it to the cross. It's over. Rise and be thankful. Don't be deceived. Rise and be thankful. Don't be deceived. This is Jesus. I think it's a good time to rise and be thankful and sing about Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus. God, I pray that you would lodge the importance of Jesus deep into our souls. May it be a nagging influence on the depth of our soul, God, that we always feel. You have forgiven us. You have canceled our debt. You have nailed it to a cross. It is out of our way, God. You have circumcised us. You've cut our flesh away. God, I thank you for Jesus. God, guide us now as we interact 
with him as we make proclamations together about who your son is. May you be pleased with our response to you. In Christ's perfect name.